0: Father, we ask now that you would help your daughter Rebecca to open the scriptures and speak with us about your words. May all that she has prepared be presented in such a way that that we can understand in a new way your love, your care, and your call upon us. May your Holy Spirit now open our hearts and minds and bless Rebecca as she preaches. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that beautiful prayer. And thank you, um, Kenny and Nogal and, um, yes, Nabil. <laughs> Clearly, I have some things on my mind. Thank you, Nabil and Christy, for reading um, to us in other languages, in Hindi and in Persian in Arabic, and in Spanish. Um, it's wonderful to hear the words of the Lord spoken in a language. Woo! <laughs> it's a little surprising. It's wonderful to hear the words of the Lord spoken in a language that um, you don't know because it reminds us that um, we as English speakers are not the center of the world, but that the, the words of Scripture actually belong to... Uh, they, they belong to us all. And they were not written in English, right? They were not the... It's not the original translation. So thank you for reading that today. That's beautiful. Um, um, Now, as we move into our sermon for the week, I have to say I really appreciated the theme of last week's worship gathering. Um, Pastor Jonathan talked about anxiety, and we had a chance to sort of name some of those things that we were feeling anxious about and give them to God. And I think you talked about anxiety squashers. I can't quite say it the way you did. Didn't he say something like that? Anxiety squashers. Um, And this last week, I actually found myself feeling worried and anxious a couple times. And when I did, I I reminded myself of, oh, I'm feeling anxious right now, and reminded myself of the anxiety squashers that Pastor Jonathan was talking about. Um, I realized I was feeling a little afraid when I was uh, looking up (laughs) articles online on on how to survive a nuclear fallout from a bomb blast while I was supposed to be working on this sermon. And I thought, oh, I'm feeling a little worried right now. And that particular worry of mine might sound a little silly, um, but it reminded me of the fact that all of us have things that do weigh on our minds and on our hearts. And as I watched the news yesterday, I was reminded of how deeply that sits and how much that fills us and how much we carry around. And I can't even begin to go into the sermon without just saying a word, calling all of us to love, calling us to hear the gospel of christ which is that in christ we belong to each other we are supposed to lift each other up and what we saw yesterday as a white person i am abhorred and i'm so so saddened
1: so i just want to condemn
0: all white supremacy any any ideology which seeks to put itself up over another that seeks to suppress another group of people that is not the spirit of So I found myself feeling even afraid this week, wondering what kind of future my children are going to grow up in. I found myself feeling worried and anxious, and even as I used the wonderful anxiety squashers, I was reminded of an anxiety squasher for me, which is Psalm 23. Now, it wasn't always an anxiety squasher for me, and we'll go through it in just a second. Today's text has spoken to me in different ways over the course of my life. And my hope is for us at the end of this sermon that we will come away with an increased confidence in God's care for us. That as we live in an increasingly fearful age, as we live in a place where there is a lot, there is evil around us. But as we live in this, we can have confidence in God's care for us. So I'm going to go through it in just a second, but first of all, I want to give us some context. Psalm 23, it's taken from the Book of Psalms. And the Book of Psalms were the prayer book of God's people. It was compiled over hundreds of years as songs and prayers were put together and written down because they didn't want it to be lost. And then, over the last thousands of years we have continued to pray and sing these words. Not people just from one culture and one language, but people all around the world joining together as God's people singing and praying these words. And these particular words we're looking at today, um, they are sung and prayed at funerals and at weddings. They've, um, they're recited by people even of different faiths. I've been in different traditions where I heard the Psalm 23 being read. And they've been sung by choirs, both big and small, in settings all around the world. It's one of the most famous, all-time psalms. I even heard it on a TV show once. I was like, what is this? So I'd like to invite us to read it together in English now. So if you felt left, left out when our friends were reading it in their own languages, you have a chance now. So we'll try to move through it slowly, and I invite you to let the words of the psalm sink into you as we read it now. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, because you, Are with me. Your rod and staff, they protect me. You set a table before me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the Lord's house. My whole life long. So, this is a, a beautiful little song, a little prayer. It's not very long. And at first glance, if you're just looking at it, maybe it's, if it's your first time reading it or hearing it, there's two main images that sort of jump out to us. The first is of a shepherd taking care of his sheep, right? If sheep aren't brought to waters that are quiet, that, that don't run, that aren't very bubbly or loud or moving quickly, they don't really want to drink. So they need to be brought to quiet waters so they can drink and they don't die. Sheep, they need grassy pasture lands so they can eat grass. They're not like goats. Goats can pretty much eat anything. Sheep, they want some grass and they need proper paths. They need guiding because if sheep aren't brought on the right path, they could fall down and break something. They're not very stable creatures or they could get eaten by a predator. Or bitten, right? So it needs a good shepherd, is one who will give you what you need to live, and what a sheep needs to live is food, drink, and proper paths. So that's the first image, one of a good shepherd. And the second image—it's okay if we don't have anything on screen right now, but we will get get back to it, Patty. The second image is one of a host, and about halfway through, uh, halfway through, the psalm sort of switches, and suddenly we have the image of sitting at a table and having a generous abundance being poured out for us. So there's a lot of ways to sort of dig into this psalm. Um, Some people try to keep the shepherding metaphor alive the whole time, and they say, oh, the shepherd does all these things. The shepherd provides rest, restoration, refreshment, rejoicing, residence. That's a lot of R's. Other people say that the entire psalm actually shows God treating people as honored guests in three ways, with God as shepherd, God as guide and God as host. So there's, there's a lot of ways you can look at this psalm. And today, we could talk a lot about God as shepherd or God as host. But instead of analyzing it to death like we sometimes do with beautiful things, like poems and artwork, instead, I'd like us to enter this psalm. I'd like us to step into it together. I'd like us today to feel the comfort of what it is telling us in the depths of our heart. But to do that, though, we might need to sit with a little pain. Because before we can enter the psalm, before we can receive comfort, first we have to acknowledge those places in us that are hurt, those places in us that we don't feel cared for. First, we have to acknowledge the places in us that maybe we're a little distrustful or a little hesitant to pray or sing this psalm like we mean it. I read a study this past week was published in this journal called Science. It's a really, really long name. And it looks at results from all these different experiments that involved over 700 people. And it was basically experiments wondering how people cope when they are all alone, when they don't have a cell phone to distract them, they don't have someone else to talk to, or a TV to turn on, or emails to check. And the researchers discovered that people said that it was Unpleasant to be in a room alone with just their thoughts as company in as short as six minutes. So after six minutes, people said it feels really unpleasant, I don't have anything to distract me. And they even discovered that some people would rather give themselves little electric shocks than sit there alone with their thoughts. Now, guys, you didn't come out very well in the study. 64% of the 700 group of people, 64% of the men said they'd rather feel the electric shock than sit there alone with their thoughts. This little zap they'd give themselves. And women, we came out ahead this one time, Uh, only 15% of us preferred to shock ourselves. (laughs) But all of us, men and women in this study, we all said that it was unpleasant to be in a room with nothing to distract us from the way we feel inside. Which can often be anxious, worried, or afraid. And I had to say, when I read this, I thought to myself, if we have this much of a hard time being present to the parts of us that are in pain, imagine how hard it is to be open to God's comfort, which is extended to us in our pain. How can we receive God's comfort if we cannot even feel our own pain? If we resist Feeling the way we do, how can we receive God's comfort? I'd like to invite you into a memory of mine from seven years ago. This really happens. And I was gathered in a large grassy area with my family outside, and it was for a second birthday celebration. Um, It was outside, there was no um, there was no roof over our heads. And we had balloons and flowers, and just as we were getting ready to sing the happy birthday song, it began to rain. Now, um, this is not here in L.A., where rain is, in fact, very calamitous, according to some people. No, I'm just kidding. You want all the rain that there is. Um, it's in Hawaii, where it rains every day, but this particular rain wasn't just a little a little drizzle that evaporated. It was a huge, torrential rain, big, fat drops falling on our heads. And normally that would ruin a birthday party, right? You need to go inside, you need to put the cake somewhere else. Um, you don't want to get ruined by the rain. But this wasn't a regular birthday party. It was actually a celebration of life for a child who had never made it to this birthday. It was a celebration of life for my son, Vincent, who had died six months prior. And it was a second birthday. We had to do something. So we decided to go to his gravesite and release these biodegradable balloons into the air. We thought, oh, something his brother could do. But when we got there, and it began to rain, we didn't really know what to do. It was awkward. It was cold. It was wet. It was sad. And there, with all our extended family, my husband said, you know, why don't we just pray the 23rd Psalm together? So everyone started reciting it. You know, many of them know it by heart. They began saying the 23rd Psalm. But I couldn't say it. The words were stuck in my throat. I couldn't even get past the second line, I shall not want, or I have everything I need. And you know, it took me a few years of allowing myself to feel this pain before I could enter this psalm, before I could feel God's comfort extended to me in the pain. And it makes me wonder you know, what do we do? Those of us who have needed guidance, who have needed leading along proper paths, and yet it didn't come? What about when we needed protection and yet we got hurt? How do you sing a song like this? How do you pray a prayer like this when you don't feel like an honored guest? What about when you're far from a home? On second thoughts, how is this song an anxiety squasher? Well, for starters, let's look at what the psalm is not saying. And this was key for me, to be able to hear what the psalm was saying and how I could enter into God's comfort extended to me when I was in that darkest valley. So first of all, the psalm doesn't say, I will never need anything, right? It doesn't say that. Rather, it says, right now, in this moment, I have what I need. The psalmist doesn't say, I will never be hungry or thirsty again, or I have never been hungry or thirsty. But rather, when I was hungry and thirsty and tired, I found myself fed, watered, and rested. The psalmist doesn't say, I always know where I'm going. But rather, I will be led according to God's faithfulness. And if I find myself on a road that seems treacherous, God is faithful, faithful with me on that road. The psalmist doesn't say, I will have no enemies, but rather, I will be provided for even as they look on. Even as these enemies are in my life, I will be taken care of. And the psalmist doesn't say, my cup of blessing will never be empty. My cup of blessing is always full. No, no. Rather, my cup, which has been empty, is filled to overflowing. And who can do that? Our shepherd host. Lastly, the psalmist doesn't say, I fear no evil because nothing bad ever happens. The psalmist does not say that. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil because it just doesn't scare me. Let's look at why not. Now, I promised you we wouldn't dissect this psalm to death, but maybe I lied a little bit, because I do have an insert here for you that shows some of the structure. I'm not going to go through it the whole way. I just want to let you know a little bit of the, the signposts that might give us a hint as to why the psalmist does not need to feel fear. So basically, in the Hebrew language that the psalm was written in, It begins and ends with God's personal name, God's personal name, Yahweh. And in my Hebrew class in seminary, we were taught to be on the lookout for bookends like this. They're called an inclusio. And it basically signals to the reader that in between them, there is a pattern happening. So that inclusio says, pattern, pattern. And when we look at here, it does follow a pattern format. It kind of has these themes which move in, draw us in towards the center of the psalm. And the theme at the top and the theme at the bottom complement each other. We have this picture of God's complete provision at the beginning, at at the end, God's continual provision all the days of my life. We have a picture of God's purposeful restoration, bringing us to still waters, bringing us to grassy meadows, bringing us to rest. And at the end of it, we have a picture of purposeful renewal. You prepare a table before me even in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. So we have these bookends, complete provision, continual provision, purposeful restoration, purposeful renewal. And in the middle, the very center of it all, drawing us in, is a line that contains the most metrical beats in the Hebrew. It's the most emphasized line of the poem. The most emphasized line, and it's this. I fear no evil, for you are with me. And the Hebrew word here for evil, sometimes translated danger, is the word ra. I fear no ra, for you, the shepherd, which is roi, you are with me. So the Ra and the Roe stand at heads with each other, but I do not need to fear the Ra because of the Roe. So we have this, even this internal sort of, kind of like a rhyme, but we have these words playing off each other, leading us in towards the center of not needing to be afraid. And it makes me wonder, we are vulnerable people, so are sheep, so are guests in someone's home. These are all vulnerable places to be. Why do we not need to be afraid? Psalm 23 tells us that we do not need to be afraid. We do not need to fear evil because of our shepherd, your shepherd, the one who takes care of you, who has brought you here to this place, who has kept you alive. The shepherd is with you. I want to pause for a moment and let us just think about the power of words. The teacher or the parent who repeatedly tells a child, "You can do it. If you keep trying, you're so smart. You can get this." versus the parent or child that tells the parent or a teacher that tells their child, "You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything." What about affirmation from a boss or a mentor that you respect and look up to who tells you, I'm proud of who you're becoming? I'm proud of you. Versus that person you look up to that tells you, I'm disappointed in you. Or what about an adult child who calls up their parents one day and says, You know, mom, thank you for everything. I know how much you sacrificed and I'm so thankful. Versus the child that said, I wish you were dead. These are powerful words, power of life or death. Now I want you to imagine the words of a spouse to their partner after their partner has been given a terminal diagnosis. I promise to be here with you until the very end. I promise to be here with you. These are words that carry the potential very strong potential of life to speak life into the other or not and psalm 23 tells us you don't need to be afraid because god is with you god is with you that's actually what the word emmanuel means and at christmas time a lot of our songs have this name for god in them this name specifically for jesus This name that means God with us. And in Jesus, we see the fullness of God being present to humanity. Being present to humanity, not just in the atmosphere around us, or not just as God's spirit, but God being present to us as we are, as humans, in all that we experience, all of the misery we suffer. I find it interesting that Psalm 23, it's right in the middle, it's sandwiched between these two other psalms, Psalm 22 and Psalm 24, and Psalm 22 is a psalm of the cross. It's a psalm that Jesus quoted when he hung on the cross, when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's that song, and Jesus experienced all of the ways that we feel distant from God, all of the ways we feel far from God in our suffering. He experienced that so that God can truly, in all senses of the word, be said to be present with us when we experience suffering. Because Jesus experienced it all, even that sense of distance from God. And Jesus, it's so interesting, he actually reaches back to this psalm, Psalm 23. And in the book of John, he takes this, this picture of this shepherd and he ascribes it to himself. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. He's reminding his hearers of that psalm they know, that song, that prayer they love, and he's telling them, remember that shepherd? I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And he goes on to tell them why he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sake of the sheep. Jesus experienced all our vulnerability. He stood against the forces of violence, evil, and death so that in all of the ways we suffer, he can accompany us and we can know his true presence. And in his suffering, he opened up for us a new way of living, a way of living where we don't need to be bound by fear, a new way of living where we don't need to be bound by the forces that surround us, by the ra'a, but instead a new way of living where God's goodness and love are what chase after us. Not the the dogs or the, the lions or the bears, whatever likes to eat lambs. You can imagine a little flock of lambs with some animals chasing after them. In this image, because of the good shepherd, we have God's goodness chasing after us. God's love that never stops, that never gives up running after us. So when I gave Psalm 23 a chance to speak for me again, I realized this was a song I could sing. This was a prayer I could pray. Although I had been through the deepest valley where death lives, I could trust the shepherd, this God who accompanies us through evil and death to new life, life in God's own house, a life that goes on forever. Now, although Psalm 23 is ascribed, uh, is attributed to David, uh, on there it has a little superscription that says a psalm by David. Those were added much later after the actual psalms were written, so it very well could have been written by David. Um, We don't know for positive. Um, But we do know, we do know the very first person in Scripture who made the profession of God as shepherd. We do know when that first person did it. We know it wasn't at the beginning of their life. They weren't just having a happy life, and they said, oh, God, you're my shepherd. I love you. You take care of me. It wasn't young love. We know that the person who first called God their shepherd, we see them at the end of their life. They're ancient. They're aged. He's over 100 years old. His eyes are blinded by pain and by grief and age. This man is meeting his grandchildren for the first time. From a son he believed to be dead, a son he believed to be torn apart by wild animals, while tending sheep, the only thing left of him a multicolored cloak. This man is the man Jacob, the one who his whole life, worked hard for everything he got. His name means grasping and his whole life he tried to grab everything good. He tried to get his inheritance. He tried to get a blessing from his father. He worked so hard for his wife he got cheated again and again. Sometimes he cheated people too. He wrestled with God's own self and lived to talk about it. His name was changed to Israel. He's actually who the nation of Israel is named after. Here he is at the end of his life After experiencing homelessness, estrangement from family, after experiencing the death of his beloved wife and the the loss and recovery of his favorite son, he's the first person to call God, not just a shepherd, but my shepherd. He's laying there on what will be his deathbed. His arms are extended to his grandchildren. And as he blesses them, he blesses them In the name of Yahweh, God, who has been my shepherd, he says, my whole life long. God, who has shepherded me my whole life long, I bless you with this God's blessing. So today, I'd like to invite you to sing with the psalmist. I'd like to invite you to croon out the words with old man Jacob. I'd like to invite you to sing that the Lord is your shepherd, that you can sing, that you do have what you need right now to survive, and that God is with you. That although your life may have led through a very deep, dark valley, maybe even one you're going through right now, maybe this valley could not be run through because of sharp rocks and dangerous outcroppings and landslides. Maybe this valley could not even be jogged through. Maybe this is a valley that you can only walk through, but you can walk through it because your shepherd, your ro'i, is with you. It can be crossed. We can sing with the psalmist that although we've needed guiding, we are thankful for the direction we've received. We are thankful to be here. We can sing with the psalmist that although we've been opposed by enemies, we've had grace and skill to do life with them anyway. We can sing with the psalmist of the joys of a full cup because we know what an empty cup and an unanointed head feel like. We can sing with the psalmist that although we have been chased after by dark and difficult things, best of all, we have been chased after by God's goodness and God's covenantal love. I can sing these songs. Perhaps you can too. As I close now, let's pray these words together. All of us, from our hearts, saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He lets me rest in grassy meadows. He leads me to restful waters. He keeps me alive. He guides me in proper paths for the sake of his good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the Lord's house my whole life.